You're listening to Not So Risky Business Podcast, where we make legal easy for you by unlocking access to essential legal information, training, and strategy for online businesses, coaches, and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Miriam Tsadurian. Welcome. Welcome back to another value-packed episode. Today, we're going to talk about legal considerations for digital products and or digital creators. If you're an online business, you probably already have a bunch of digital products, whether they are ebooks, online courses, memberships, or if you don't have them, you're well on your way to creating them. And if you're not, you should really consider doing that because most of the fun in online business comes from digital products. Regardless, today we're going to talk about legal considerations for those. And trust me when I say there are plenty legal considerations if you want to do the whole digital product market correctly. So to begin with, we're going to cover the foundation. Think of this like the back rooms, right? Think of this like the behind the scenes area of your digital products where you need to make sure everything is compliant before you actually start building on it and creating your digital products. Of course, I'm talking about your website compliance issues because if your website is not legally compliant, is not legally protected, it defeats the purpose of creating your digital products products because then you're just adding one layer on top of each other where you're not legally protecting your business. And my friend, this entire show is about legally protecting your business. So it would defeat the purpose. Before I get into the details of today's episode, I do need to do my legal disclaimer really quickly here. My name is Maryam Tsaturian. I am a licensed and practicing attorney. However, I am not your attorney. Nothing I say during the episodes of this show are to be taken as legal advice. They are for informational and educational purposes only. If you need legal advice for your specific circumstances, please consult your attorney. If you don't have one, contact me and I'll be happy to get you in touch with someone who can help you. Now that that's out of the way, let's begin talking about your website compliance issues because we need to make sure that this very first level, this basic level is taken care of before we start adding on to that and building our digital products, no matter what they may be. With website compliance, number one most important thing that you need to worry about is your privacy policy. Now, privacy laws are very broad. In fact, every day we keep getting updates from for privacy compliance purposes from different areas, whether they are different states within the United States or different countries throughout the world. They come up with all kinds of privacy regulations that we need to make sure we comply with in our privacy policy to have that legally protected business and to, to just be more legitimate as a business owner. So with privacy laws, there are a few things you need to keep in mind. Your privacy policy needs to address in detail the data that you collect from your website visitors or from your customers or would-be customers. Number two, it needs to address how you're collecting that information. Three, for what purpose are you collecting this information? 
Four, how long are you going to keep hold of this information? And when are you actually going to delete this information? Are you actually, and five, are you actually complying with GDPR regulations, which is the general data protection regulation comes out of the European Union? Are you complying with the CCPA, which is the California equivalent to GDPR? Are you complying with the Virginia privacy regulation? And so on, right? Privacy regulation is, as I said, a very broad topic. In fact, I'm going to do an entire episode on just this topic alone, website compliance for privacy related issues so that you can have a little bit more background to go on. But for today's purposes, um, just make sure whatever I just mentioned when it comes to privacy policy is there that you limit yourself, meaning you do not collect more information than is necessary. In fact, always are on a side of less information rather than more. For example, if collecting your subscriber's phone number is not absolutely essential for your business, meaning you can get away with just having their email address, then do not ask for their phone number, do not ask for their address, do not ask for their birth date, and so on. Basically, any personal information, any personal data that could be used to identify the person behind the data, this is more or less how personal data is defined, If you don't have absolute need for that, for your business purposes, do not collect it. Limit yourself to collect as little data as possible. Um, A good practice is to just collect the email address and first name if you need it. Now, the next layer of protection for your website compliance is your disclaimer policy that also includes a lot of the necessary disclosures in it. Your disclaimer policy is what's going to act as something that limits your liability if and hopefully never you get sued sometimes in the future, right? Your disclaimer policy will have all kinds of disclaimers in it. For example, for me, it will have a legal disclaimer in it, like the one I did before this episode started. For some, it might have a medical disclaimer, health disclaimer, financial disclaimer, might have some kind of earnings disclaimer. It might have some kind of guarantee or anti-guarantee disclaimer. Whatever kind of disclaimer is necessary for you to protect yourself as a business owner, as a professional, you want to have in your disclaimer and disclosure policy. Then the next policy for your website compliance purposes is your terms and conditions or terms of use or terms and agreements, however you want to call it. People call it all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it does one thing. It lays out your terms and conditions, your rules and regulations as they relate to the use of your website, to the use of your products and services for other people. This is where you will talk about what is considered acceptable use for your purposes, what your visitors are absolutely not allowed to do. This is where you will talk about your intellectual property rights. This is where you will warn them away from all kinds of infringement, copyright, trademark, and patent right? So a trademark, I'm sorry, terms and conditions agreement or the policy is extremely, extremely important, even though 
it is not a legally required policy to have on your website. For example, something like privacy policy is legally required. It would be illegal for you not to have a privacy policy on your site, but it would not be illegal if you were uh, if you didn't have terms and conditions up on your site, but it would not be wise if you didn't have one. Because to me, terms and conditions is the single most important agreement or policy that you can have on your website for protection purposes. Now, this was website compliance in a nutshell. Have these policies in place to make sure that whatever you build onto your website can further be protected legally. Because if this first layer is not protected, it defeats the purpose. Now, once you have this in place and it's time for you to start creating your digital products, or maybe you have already created digital products, the next thing you want to think about is copyright issues. One, when you have a digital product, you want to have a copyright disclaimer and disclosure in place. This means that little copyright notice that you see before you read a book, whether it's an ebook or an actual book, any kind of PDF guides, or if when movies start, I'm sure you have seen this copyright notice that says this content, this movie, or this ebook, or this story, whatever it is, is protected under the US copyright laws, that the creator holds the copyright to this work, and any illegal use, distribution, copying, modification constitutes copyright infringement and you will take legal action. So this copyright notice is essential. You want to have this copyright notice before you actually start providing any kind of content that, you know, is meaty, that includes details that comes from your knowledge or is an original and unique work for your purposes. So anytime you want to start something like that, make sure your copyright notice is in place before you start. Now, does that, does having this copyright notice in place mean that people will not copy your work, infringe your copyright? Absolutely not. I'll be the first person to tell you that. Having this in place does not mean that people will not copy you. If somebody is determined to copy your content, they will do that no matter what you do. You could put one of those plugins on your website that prevents them from being able to copy paste material and they will still copy your material. So if somebody is determined, nothing's going to stop them. But Having this in place will help you if someone does infringe, you can say that they knowingly infringed your copyright because you have this notice up. There is no way that they didn't see this notice because it comes before any information. Therefore, they knowingly and intentionally infringed your copyright. So this matters. Make sure to have that notice in place. Now, when it comes to copyright issues, of course, we are not done for your digital products. Aside from that main copyright notice that comes before any work, you also want to have some kind of a copyright notice in the footer that usually states the year. It states the name of your business. And then you can have some sentence that says, for example, all rights reserved, and you're welcome to have more information on there if you want. Again, this is merely precautionary. It serves as a notice to other people. So nobody can claim that they didn't know 
though this work was copyrighted, even though, as we've already discussed this topic in previous episodes, copyright protection is automatic. However, people will try to argue anything these days, so have this notice in place. Now, with copyright, of course, we have to deal with issues like copyright infringement and fair use. Fair use is a doctrine, a defense to copyright infringement. This means that for limited purposes, uh, people or specific people can use your content without asking for permission. Now, fair use doctrine, as it's known, is an extremely notoriously gray area in copyright law because this is decided on a case-by-case basis. There is no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to the fair use doctrine. There are some factors that you need to determine kind of weigh against each other to see if something constitutes fair use or not. But what I would recommend, this is going a little step further than most digital creators would. In fact, this is not something that I have personally done in uh, in the past either, but this is definitely something that I am implementing moving forward because I think it makes a difference. It is helpful. So you can have a separate page on your website or in your course area where you tell them, what would constitute fair use, how other people may or may not use your content. So for example, if someone hypothetically wants to review your course, write a review of your course for other people to determine, to help them decide whether they want to be part of your course or not, that could constitute as fair use because they're writing a review on it. So they need to be able to talk about the course. Maybe they need to use some aspects of the course, obviously not entire portions. So this is where you can be creative. This is where you can lay down the law, so to say, and tell them what is permitted and what is not permitted. Just so you get in front of this thing that might happen and you control the situation. You dictate how this process should be done so that nobody can come back and say, hey, this is fair use. You can say, look, I have a fair use section that specifically lays down what can and cannot be done. You've agreed to this before you actually access the course. So what you've done is maybe not fair use. But here's the thing though, I do have to give you this little disclaimer or warning. Fair use is something that is decided by the courts. It is not the final fair use, right? Because I can say what that person did is not fair use and they can argue that it is fair use. And at the end of the day, we're disagreeing on that. So who's going to decide what constitutes fair use? The courts, right? So just keep that in mind. Just because you say something is not fair use and the other person says it is, if push comes to shove, it will have to be decided by the courts if you really want to have a final determination on this topic. However, it's a good idea to have some kind of page in place where you talk about what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. Similar to a lot of medias and brands out there where they have like a media page where they might let you use their logo or some images from their website for specific limited purposes. You might want to have something like that. And the next thing that we need to take into consideration with copyrights is copyright registration when it comes to your digital products. Your digital product 
more likely than not can be registered as a group work as opposed to registering each individual lesson on its own if you haven't published it yet. And again, a publishing publication when it comes to copyright is a term of law. So it doesn't mean necessarily the same thing as publishing in a regular sense of the word like you click publish. That doesn't necessarily mean that your copyright attorney will be able to do an analysis and determine whether your work has been published or not. But with digital products, if let's say it's an online course, you might be able to protect it as a group work as opposed to each individual lesson or module on its own. And obviously as a group work, it will cost you a lot less money. But consider protecting it with copyrights, especially if what you're creating is meant to be a signature product. If it's just something that you might sell like for a few, I don't know, days or months and then retire it before your heart's really not in it, then maybe do not register your copyright for that. But if what you've created is meant to be a signature product, it's part of your brand, then do consider registering your copyright for that in case infringement occurs. So you have more options for protecting it. The next a thing that I want you to consider when it comes to digital products as a digital product creator or seller is the issue of trademarks. Trademark is your brand identifier. If, again, what you've created is part of your brand or it's a signature product and you want that signature product to be part of your brand, then register a trademark for that product's name if it's registrable. Of course, entering your trademark for that will mean that nobody else out there can create a digital product within the same field or niche with a name that is the same or confusingly similar to yours. So this prevents infringement. And if infringement does happen, you have a lot of avenues available to you to fight it. The next topic I want you to be cognizant on and sensitive to, right, are refunds. Now, refund is a big issue in the online business world, especially so in the digital products world. With refunds, there is no law. First of all, let's get that out of the way. There is no law that says you have to have a refund or you don't have to have a refund. It's one of those things that is optional and it comes down to what kind of a business owner are you? What kind of a business person are you? So with refunds, the most important thing is to have a clear, conspicuously written policy or a clause as to whether you actually offer refunds or not. And once you have that in place, whether you offer refunds or not, the next thing you want to cover is if you're offering refunds, how are your refunds offered? What are the basis for asking for refunds? Now, there are several types. Some people have no questions asked refunds. You just ask them for a refund and they give it to you. Some people have no questions asked 
and a time limitation refund. This is more common. So maybe you have a refund in place that says no questions asked refund within 30 days of your product purchase or within 14 days of your product purchase, whatever timeline you want to put in place. But if you have a time limitation, this is how it's going to work. Now, there are other kinds of refunds available. There is one that is not no questions asked. There is one that says, for example, do the work if you can show us proof that you've done all the work for this course and it still didn't work for you, meaning you followed every single direction that this course has in place. You've done everything this course tells you to do and you didn't see results or even a little bit of improvements, then you can get a refund. But you have to present proof of that work that you've done. So this is a conditional refund. There are hybrid options where you have this condition and a time limitation. I could do the work and show us that you've done the work within the first 30 days or 60 days and you can get a refund if nothing worked, right? So just decide for yourself what is the refund policy that you want to move forward with and clearly and unambiguously write that in. Make sure it's right there for your buyers to see. It's not hidden anywhere so they know what they're getting themselves into and they cannot come back to you and say, oh, they didn't know that there was no refund or they buy the course, let's say you don't have a refund policy in place or I'm sorry, you have a refund policy that says no refunds will be given for because this is a digital product and somebody comes and asks for a refund and says, well, I didn't know that there were no refunds. So you don't want to deal with this. You want to make sure that the, your refund policy is very clearly visible that you're not hiding it anywhere so that if people have a question, they can refer back to that. In fact, have your refund policy linked in several places, definitely more than one. So you can have a actual refund policy in the footer of your course website or regular website next to your policies like privacy policy and disclaimer and whatnot. You can have your refund policy also be included as a clause inside your terms and conditions agreement. You can have your refund policy as a asked question or included in your frequently asked questions area. And you can definitely have your refund policy linked on your purchase page for your product. So make sure this is visible. That's the goal. We want to give others notice. We want to let them know beforehand that this is what you're getting yourself into. This is how you protect yourself as a digital creator or a digital product seller. You want to limit liability to yourself as much as possible from the very beginning. You want to address all those little pesky issues that might come up along the way if people are confused about your product or conditions. So make sure there is no room for confusion. Be as clear as you can. Now the next section after refunds that I want to briefly touch on before we conclude today's episode is accessibility. Accessibility is essential in order to give equal access to all. We've talked about accessibility before in several other previous episodes and this is a topic that we'll probably keep talking about as we go just because it wraps itself around everything that you do as a business owner, as an online business owner. 
When you have a website, when you have digital products, your goal as a business owner should be to give equal access to all. Now, equal access does not mean that you give the same kind of access because sometimes it's impossible. If somebody has certain limitations, whether physical or mental, or they have impairments like visually impaired, hearing impaired, whatever the condition may be, they might not have access in the same way as the other person, for example, a person who's not visually impaired will just read the material clearly and understand it and see it. A person with visual impairment cannot read it in the same way. They need to use helpers. They need to use screen scanners and whatnot. So if that's the case, you need to make sure that your material is scannable. This means, number one, using clear, legible fonts using big fonts, not writing your text in tiny, tiny letters. Three, using the proper tags for your content, your heading tags, H1s, H2s, H3s, your paragraph tags. If you have any kind of graphics or images in place, make sure you have your alt tags or alternate text explaining what that graphic presents. If you have like new paragraphs, make sure you use a paragraph break feature as opposed to just pressing enter, enter to create that space between the paragraphs. And if you have a digital product, consider, really, really consider adding transcripts so that if somebody is, if somebody is hearing impaired, they can read the transcript. And also if somebody is visually impaired, the audio is there. So make sure you give everyone access to what you're creating. And the same is true if you create downloadable products like PDFs. There is a way to make your PDFs accessible. So accessibility is part of the law. We have the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. And then within that, we have several sub regulations. Think of them like sister regulations to ADA that actually do dictate that you need to have to, you need to be accessible and compliant with this law. And there are some strict fines that you can be subject to. However, even if this wasn't absolutely legally required, this is just good practice. As a business owner, you need to make sure that your products are equally available to everyone to purchase and look through if they need to. Because even if we take humanity and decency out of the question, as a business owner, you want to make sales. And by not making your content accessible, you are limiting yourself because the people who might have purchased, if they could have had access to your information, if they could have read it or if they could have heard it, they can't because you didn't make it accessible and you've lost out on buyers. So make sure accessibility is part of your digital product creation and sales process. Okay, so we've talked about several things, your website compliance when it comes to your policies and uh, agreements in place. We've talked about your copyright issues, your trademark issues, your refund issues, and your accessibility issues. So these are all things that you need to take into consideration when you're creating digital products or when you're selling, creating and already selling digital products. If you already have some products in place, 
go through them today. Make sure that you have your policies linked out. Make sure that you have a clear refund policy in place, that you have your copyright notices in place and that everything is accessible. I, I do have a free checklist on this topic that includes a little bit more detail from what we've talked about today. I will link that checklist in the show notes for you to be able to download. And it talks about what we've talked about today as a check list and it does have a couple of more added on details in there as well if you loved today's episode go ahead and leave me a review for my podcast on apple podcasts and if you have questions get in touch with me i love getting comments and questions from you because if you have a particular question i might be able to create content around your question on its own so just get in touch with me let me know what you think about the episode so far whether you're loving this format or not so make sure to tune back in pleasure talking to you as always talk to you soon